Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You know what day it is, so let's overreact on another Monday here at the Doghouse on the Believe Podcast Network. Yeah, welcome back to the Doghouse on this Monday morning. I'm your host, David Murray, and we're sponsored, as usual, by Bet Online, where the game starts. There's a lot to overreact to in Bulldog sports these days, most of it good, in fact, for a change. And isn't that a pleasant change of pace? Great news for Bulldog basketball. Well, both Bulldog basketballs, in fact, as Mississippi State, men and women alike, will be heading to the NCAA tournament, both playing this midweek. Chris Jan's team was expecting to get a bid, maybe a little nervous waiting after their Thursday loss in the SEC tournament. Most figured they'd be in the last four to get in. Some thought they might be able to avoid the first round match. As it turned out, they don't, but they're still going to be playing come Tuesday evening, 8-10 Central Time in Dayton on something called True TV, which name alone is encouraging enough for me to listen to Neil and Richard and make the call instead of try to hunt that down on my cable. Yeah, I think we still use cable where I'm from. Don't, don't, don't mock it until you try it. The winner is in the Midwest region and goes on to face number six seed Iowa State in Greensboro, North Carolina. So the bid is in. Mississippi State will be playing in postseason, first time since 2019, and only the second trip to the NCAA since 2009. Of course, Mississippi State got a five seed in 2019, and we all know how that turned out. Not well. But uh, this time you've got a team that is going there with a little sense of momentum, certainly a lot of confidence in themselves, and I think a pretty good matchup. Yes, they're both officially 11 seeds, which is generally the lowest that a major conference, whatever the equivalent of football Power 5 league would be, is seeded. It doesn't matter. Both the Bulldogs and the Panthers will be number 11 going in and would play a number 6 seed in the uh, next round. But good news for them, and let's see. What do we know about Pitt right now? Well, just a very, very quick and superficial look. They finished uh, 23-10 and 10 overall. They were sixth in the Atlantic Coast Conference standings by percentage, and it was a turnaround season for Coach Jeff Capel. I didn't even know he was the coach there, in fact. Uh, and after the last couple of seasons, it appeared he was on the verge of losing his job after some on- and off-court issues among the program. Well, they had some erratic results this year, but some big wins, some ugly losses, but in an did enough to make the bid, turn the season around, win 23 games overall in the Atlantic Coast Conference, we always have to remind. And here they are, matching up against Mississippi State in Dayton. The Bulldogs are certainly going to be thrilled to be there. I don't think this is exactly what they will be satisfied with. That's the positive point, too. Because... They expected to get into the tournament field. It would have been a tremendous, tremendous letdown had they not gotten any sort of bid. They've got it, but I I don't really believe this team will go into it with some huge sigh of relief. Oh, we're in. We're happy to be here. I think they're going to go to Dayton planning to win, and the fast turnaround, in fact, may help with them. Speaking of fast turnarounds, let's talk about our sponsor, Bet Online, which remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season, everything from NFL and bowl season to eSports. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup information, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. And this time of year, if you're one of those people that fill out brackets and such, uh, you may want to imply what uh, BetOnline has to offer there, of course. I, I always say, bet with your head, not over it. 
BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and live scores for just about any sport or game imaginable. And the only game in town these days will be men's and women's basketball. We're the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite league as events. Head to betonline.ag to join up and receive your 50%. That's right, 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BLEAV, all caps, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, where does the game start for Mississippi State, this matchup? Well, you don't expect to see any change in approach. Um, I was looking at uh, some of the figures on Pitt, and one of the things they're rated with is about having strong paint defense, one of the better percentage-wide teams in the country inside the arc. doesn't say much for their perimeter defense, but uh, then again, that's not exactly a Mississippi State strength. Never mind, even the best paint defenses. Hello there, Mr. Tolu Smith. <laughs> uh, he has made quite a few good defensive teams look really bad when he plays his good game down in there, and especially when he's making his free throws, and if nothing else, drawing fouls and piling him up on the other team and getting them in trouble. Uh, the Panthers appear to have an offense that's more efficient than explosive. In other words, I think this is a team that plays into Mississippi State's strengths defensively. They do shoot the three-pointer fairly well, not brilliantly, but fairly well, and that has been something that's caused the dogs problems all year. But then again, what school in the country doesn't have problems and the three-pointers are falling? I hear it every year, why can't we defend the three? Well, nobody defends the three that well. And the teams that do defend the three hard and make an effort generally get beat inside more often. So I think I will take Mississippi State's approach. You certainly can't argue with what the the best scoring defense in school history, I would say modern history. I know the, I've talked before about how the early 80s team, one of them averaged less, but that was a slowdown offensive squad that shot maybe 10 times a half. So I, I will state without fear or favor that this 2023 Chris Jans defense is the best I've seen in maroon and white when it comes down to just shutting down the scoring for the, the team. So I think State has an excellent matchup in that regard, but they've got to be on their game as well. Now, you know Tolu's going to get his touches. He's going to get his chances. Shaquille Moore, when he's on his game, can really ruin an interior defense as well because when he penetrates, he either stops to hit the pull-up or draws somebody and flips it down to Tolu, then State can make somebody look pretty bad pretty quick. So this is a game that State's going to have to score some points on, but more than you'd not be surprised. They're going to go in there relying totally on their defense to begin things and let the offensive play develop. I just like the matchup. I'm not saying that it's a slam dunk, so to speak, the Bulls are going to win. Uh, right now, I'd say something like 50-50 because Pitt has a long season, won a lot of games in a good league, had some good non-conference wins. They also had some uh, interesting non-conference losses, including to Vanderbilt by 1.2. I just think that the Bulldogs are, maybe hot isn't the right word, but they're in a better frame of mind going into the postseason than what the Panthers are looking at comparable results in the schedule. So a good chance for Mississippi State to get past that Tuesday round and advance to the regular field of 64 where they play Iowa State. And that game, by the way, would be on Friday at 2 o'clock, also on True TV. I won't get too much into Iowa State because that would be guilty of looking forward. And Chris Jans would give me a um, kind of a sour look like a dentist staring at a couple of bad cavities, if you know what I mean. 
if I look too far ahead. But I will go as far to say this. Iowa State has struggled in the second half of their season, and they look kind of extremely vulnerable in a lot of ways, especially in offense. Okay, enough on that. Mississippi State has got to take care of business Tuesday night first. I mentioned that I like the quick turnaround. Well, Pitt is in the same situation. Both teams were eliminated from the conference tournaments this past Thursday, so rest will not be an issue for either. Dayton is a uh, good bit closer to Pittsburgh than Startwell is, but then with the flying and, of course, it being spring break, there's no interference on the Mississippi State campus either. Travel is not going to be an issue the other way around. Weather, well, that could be interesting for what we understand may be going through the weekend which we'll get to when we talk about baseball in just a minute as well. But all things being equal, which they never truly are, I just think Mississippi State not only can take advantage of this matchup, but get into a good situation and a good frame of mind, and plus they don't have to play again until Friday if they take care of business on Tuesday. So a good move. I think this is an excellent kind of breakthrough moment for Chris Jan's first team. And not only that, it's just a great reward for a great job done. We don't want to overplay it, but then we can't downplay either the fact that Mississippi State, with its offensive limitations, with a bunch of players half left over from last year's team without a whole lot of confidence and some lot of struggles and bad memories, half of them transfers coming in from all over the map and new to Mississippi State, new to each other, how he put together a bunch that dominated his non-conference schedule. By the way, the only non-conference loss, Drake, is also in the NCAA tournament uh, as a 12 seed, interestingly enough. But they are in the tournament, so Mississippi State has just pulled off something this season, which I think is truly impressive. The coaching job, the chemistry job. I give John Jans a lot of credit, and he deserves it as the staff, but the players do too because they could have folded the tent when they were going that real struggle against that, as often said, front-loaded SEC schedule back when Alabama, Tennessee, and Auburn were all really good. Boy, we'd love to get a second shot at Tennessee and Auburn these days, wouldn't we? Spilled milk and all that. Mississippi State turned it on when they had to. Yes, there are a couple of games that got away, but at the SEC tournament, it could have entirely gotten away. And that shows the toughness. State was able to win in overtime against Florida, a game that had they lost, now that you know where the seeding and the siding is, would have knocked them out of the field. So let's not overlook that fact. Mississippi State did what it had to do in Nashville by winning that one game, which kind of flashes back ironically to me, that 2020 team for Ben Howland, had they gotten the chance to play Florida in the SEC tournament, which they were going to be favored in that game, would have also gone to the blaze, but then the whole postseason was wiped out for issues way beyond any athletics control. So Mississippi State has won nine of its last 13 games, including toughing out an overtime victory over the Gators. And any of their losses, yes, Alabama thoroughly dominated. Alabama was just playing at a different level this past weekend, and I will make no political comments about the Crimson Tide, just to say purely from a sports standpoint, darn, they look good right now. I don't know that they're mentally equipped to win the NCAA tournament as a whole, but athletically, physically, and maybe emotionally, uh, they've got all the horses. It's just, can they keep their temper? Can they keep it under control? Because, well, I I don't need to go down that line because Greg Byrne is a good friend of mine, and I just should not say anything that could be misconstrued. 
By the way, Mississippi State played an even dozen teams who made the field this year, including a pair of conference champions, Marquette and Texas A&M Corpus Christi. And their record, 6-8 and eight against those teams. So, again, Drake obviously being one of those that kind of got away. And maybe you can still look at it and think that there was an SEC game or two that State could have picked off. But overall, when you're 6-8 and eight team, 6-8 and eight against the dozen teams that you played, who have made this postseason field, you feel like you've established the resume. Now, this is a team that's going to be almost entirely new to the postseason. In fact, no active Bulldog has played in the NCAAs themselves in the maroon-white uniform. Will McNair, who was at New Mexico State with Jans, he did play in one of Jans' teams that made it to the big dance, so he's got the only veteran credential as far as that goes, and I don't... not. I'm not sure that really matters that much at this point when you get to this level because it's going to be so new to so many guys. You use it to your advantage. It's Yes, it's always good to have NCAA tournament experience to fall on, but just the nature of the sport, rosters turn over so much, whether it's uh, graduations, the pros, the transfers, all sorts of things. I don't think that means nearly what it used to mean. What really matters is chemistry at the moment, And at this moment, Mississippi State definitely seems to have the chemistry going for Bulldog basketball. And we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Sam Purcell's team. They also got one of these, uh, okay, play-in games is what we're used to calling them, us old folk. Uh, NCAA frowns upon it. They prefer to call it Field of 68 or, you know, the first round before the first round. Just call it what it is, play-in game, and call it good. A great feat for Sam Purcell's bunch because... They returned the Lady Bulldogs to NCAA play. In some ways, maybe this is even a bigger achievement because this is a program that since the department of Vic Schaefer has just been gutted emotionally, physically, numbers-wise, in every imaginable sort of way. This, as much as I praise Jan, now that I consider it, maybe Sam Purcell did an even better job. That said... SEC men's basketball top to bottom is better than SEC women's basketball top to bottom. I'm not going to deny that fact. So Mississippi State had a chance to win more games than, say, the men did, or certainly better odds in those. Fact remains, a heck of an achievement for Purcell, great achievement for Bulldog basketball on both sides of it, and not besides the fact, too, remember, they've been playing in an under-construction arena working around all those distractions and with sometimes maybe not a full fan base able to attend because of the things that just made it difficult to get to Humphrey Coliseum during these winter games. So what I'm saying is both programs are absolutely headed in the right direction because they're both headed back to the NCAA tournaments. And let's see how they do. The women play on Wednesday, and they'll be playing in South Bend, Indiana. And we'll have the schedule following that more. Uh, you can go, of course, on our jeanspage.com. Paul Jones giving thorough coverage of the men's program as they advance forward. Robbie Falk taking care of the Lady Bulldogs. All right. As it's Monday, we turn to our usual subject, baseball. And how are we going to overreact this week? Well, total turnaround. Um, yes, the competition was not on the level of what Mississippi State faced out in Frisco, Texas. Oklahoma, Ohio State, and Cal. Instead, they were playing Lipscomb. Although, having watched all three games, Lipscomb's not bad, and they have some good wins already on their record. They certainly could pitch the ball. 
and they made it a challenge for Bulldog batters, which uh, led to one kind of sort of troubling strat for the weekend. State had almost twice as many strikeouts as they did walks, which goes against the early season tendency, what, 27 to 15 over the innings the Bulldogs played. However, State still outscored Lipscomb 24 to 9, outhit them 27 to 15, and more to the point, the power. Five doubles, seven home runs. There are only three doubles given up by Bulldog pitching. Power and extra base hitting was the hallmark of this Bulldog team. That's not a surprise. We've known since the first weekend this was going to be a team that was built around the offensive side of the ball. So they're now 11-5 and five after pulling off a sweep, which, to be blunt, they really, really needed. Of course, they beat Valparaiso in the middle of the week as well. So now they have a four-win streak going into a brutal week on the road. Well, if you want to call Biloxi on the road, because that's pretty friendly territory for Mississippi State when they play Tuesday against Nichols at 6 o'clock and Louisiana, who I still call Lafayette, at 5 o'clock on Wednesday down in Shuckers Park in Biloxi. I don't know. Steve Robertson will be down there taking care of coverage. And then it's on to what's likely to be a darn chilly bluegrass series at Kentucky when Mississippi State opens Southeastern Conference play this weekend. So overall, what do you think about this past weekend? Well, as said, the offense showed up. Uh, Coach Chris Lamonis and Jake Gotro did a little bit of twitching on the batting order there. And with the results speak for themselves, I don't know if that's ever going to entirely settle down except for the top two with Amani, Larry, and Colton Ledbetter. But I like what Bryce Chance did in the three-hole. Maybe you can start thinking about some movement from the four-hole. Um, it's tough to sit there and say that a guy with the batting average that Luke Hancock has put up ought to be moved down. But if some of these younger guys keep swatting the ball the way they have, it's a legitimate option. Now that said, too, remember, Chris Lamonis likes to go left, right, left, right, or right, left, right, left as much as he can. So that's going to factor into the batting order as much as and often more than just pure average. So before all of us bench jockey geniuses start putting our orders together, let's uh, account for the coach's own tendency in those regards. That said, just about everybody hit over the weekend. Uh, Friday night, Hunter Hines broke out a couple of doubles, another home run, which pushed him into the team league with six. Then coming back in Saturday's doubleheader, and thank you very much for a doubleheader because it rained in the start all, all this Sunday, and we were able to get both games in and both wins in. A walk-off home run by Kellum Clark takes care of the first game. Uh, that was some really good pitching by Lipscomb, I have to say. The state was not taking terrible swings, but I don't think they were seeing the ball very well. Mike Nemeth and I were... Uh, sitting together in the press box, and that's kind of the common comment that we shared, that there was a stretch in both games, not the entire games, but stretches where the entire batting order just was not seeing the ball off the hand particularly well. That did not keep them from making contact and did not keep them from scoring runs, but something to consider for the future when you're facing pitching on an even better level than what Lipscomb had to offer. Still, Mississippi State flashed the power. And speaking of power, congratulations, Ross Highfield. You just broke a record. No, you just wrote a record. It's not just that you're now the 10th Diamond Dog to have hit three home runs in a single game. That in and of itself is pretty darn unique. You're sharing that status with guys like Brent Rooker, Tommy Raffo, 
Dale Unser, and of course, Rafael Palmero. But there's a difference. Ross Highfield is the only true freshman in this 10-man lineup now. Think of it. He is less than a month into his college career, and he's slugged three homers in one game against pretty decent Lipscomb pitching, and they were all legit shots. One maybe snuck over just a little bit. You know, had you had a uh, really long-armed outfielder, possibly he comes down with the ball. Doesn't matter. It's a home run. He rounded the bases and did it two more times in the series in the game, as he just wrote a piece of history there. But he wasn't the only dog slugging. As I mentioned, Hines and Clark were also hitting. By the way, that led to a lot of humor, too, because, of course, Hines and Highfield were former Madison Central teammates. And Kellum Clark, a proud Brandon boy, had to point out that, uh, by the way, I never lost to them Madisons during high school. So some of those old metro area baseball rivalries still continue within the Diamond Dog dugout. But it was a lot of smiles and cheering in the dugout as those balls were popping out of the park, and especially from a kid like Highfield. Now, does that mean he's about, he should take over starting catcher? Well, he's going to do it eventually. The weak link has not been his hitting. From the day he arrived, it was clear Ross Highfield was going to punch the ball. Maybe a little surprised he's done it so well so early. In fact, with dogs of, I think, 30 at-bats or more so this season, his 406 average is the best. And they break it down, and I think they try to make it more like 50, 60 at bats to qualify to be in the regulars. I don't care. When you're hitting 406 after playing in 13 games, you're going to hit the ball. In fact, he has a base hit in eight of his nine games he's played. And just the fact that he missed four games is a sign that he's still being worked in there, and the fact that Luke Hancock is being relied on his catcher. But that's about to change. In fact, this weekend, Highfield started twice behind the plate, and Hancock was twice starting at first base, and once behind the plate. And then you can work around that between the first base, the catching situation, and obviously you can always work it in as the DH, but then that's where Hunter Hines fits at this point. What a lovely problem to have for Jake Gotro. How, how to get all these sluggers in there and still you know, have room left to move some people around. You just like what this offense is capable of. In ways, it's already improved on last year's offense, which had no trouble hitting home runs, as the record book shows. The problem last year was getting extra base hits other than homers, certainly getting multiple run homers, plenty of solo shots last year, and getting hits of any sort of runners in scoring position. Well, the left on base total was up a little bit this past weekend compared to previous series, but still, it's positive overall. State has driven in more runners than they left stranded. You keep that pace up in SEC season, now you're going somewhere. Uh, that's an if, because they're about to face real pitching, of course. But you gain a lot of confidence by doing what they've done so far this season at the plate. Now the pitching. I try not to be too cynical sometimes, and my little probably unfortunate quote the other day about uh, anybody out there can throw a strike. Well, State threw some strikes this weekend. They did get 29 strikeouts, but they didn't throw enough strikes consistently and walked 16 batters. You can get away with that against Lipscomb, especially when you're outscoring them. You're not going to get away with that in SEC season. State has got to get pitching out there that can put people away. 
Now, the positive point from the pitching, I mentioned they only going to give up three extra base hits, just three doubles and no home runs, was that out of the 27 innings, over 17 innings were eaten up by starters. If you're able to tell Coach Foxhall that you're going to go into the weekend and each of your starters is going to give you at least five-plus innings, in a couple of cases, six innings, he'll take that and sign up for it and start worrying about how to line up the bullpen after that. And, of course, you know that Nate Dome is going to be the guy who comes in. Although, as Coach Lamona said yesterday, Dome has got the stuff to start as well. Right now he's just so valuable closing the door that you're not quite ready to make that move, which means it would be greatly to the Bulldog advantage if they would blow out Kentucky on Friday night and then have the option come back Saturday. I don't think, by the way, that the weather up there will force it into a doubleheader at this point because it looks like the only rain would be on Friday early in the day to get the game in. It's just going to be chilly. Maybe the teams decide you know, we don't want to suffer too long, especially when all our classmates are off at spring break in Florida and Texas and other places. Never mind. But right now, Dome is got, especially until Larry Nixon gets healthy and returns because he was not available this past weekend. And get him back, and all of a sudden your options expand in late relief. But if there is one thing I had to be concerned about over the weekend, it was the bullpen pitching. Other than Dome, just too many big counts, too many walks, too many hits given up on high counts, just not putting batters away. That's a tendency we saw this past season where the pitching staff had no trouble many times getting ahead of batters. The trouble was just finishing them off without getting the pitch count built up. The state's made great improvement in that count as far as starting goes already. And, of course, this past weekend of uh, Sanja and starting, or, and he pitched all right-handed on Friday, by the way, and then coming back with Eatma uh, and, um, of course, Landon Gartman. I don't know if I would shake up that order just yet, but at the moment that seems to be the way to go. And Dome, of course, would be a, an option down the line if you don't have to use him in relief. Um, it was interesting to me that you didn't see either Cade Smith or, um, well, you did see Casey Hunt throw a little bit, but Smith was not used over the weekend at all. So what's going on with the relief staff? Well, the results weren't great, but I think a lot of that, too, was especially the, in Game 3, State built that 12-4 lead and started running a bunch of guys out there that maybe aren't your primary relief options just to see what they can do, get some experience, because they're going to be needed come SEC season at some point sometime. And it's hard to be your sharpest in those situations, but that's just how the game develops this time of year. So I really don't know what they're going to do in coming games. This weekend is going to be the truest test, assuming the games stay competitive on both sides of the ball, on how State wants to approach pitching overall. We're starting uh, long relief or middle relief, setup guys, closing guys, who's healthy, who's ready to go, who they trust, right on left, all these situations. This is going to be your first true weekend to get that sort of read, and we'll certainly have a lot to go over on that count come next Monday. For now, though, they have a winning streak. They're 11-5 and on the season, going to a friendly confines in Biloxi, then heading off to Kentucky, and a team of, of course, former Mississippi State assistant Nick Mingione up there. Well, a little pressure on the bluegrass as well because – They've built a nice new stadium, and they expect to have results to follow. So 
We'll see who's feeling the heat in cold conditions in Lexington more this weekend. All right, quickly before we wrap up on this one, no spring football this week. It is spring break. Mississippi State had two practices last week, as we discussed. Uh, this Was it Friday? Um, or I can't remember what day we last talked. I talked with uh, Zach Arnett on Thursday, as well as Kevin Barbet and Matt Brock. And we talked to players on the previous Tuesday. Uh, no huge news out of it, um, other than, of course, the move of Cole Smith to center, which I think is going to be his natural position again, especially because they're going to let him gain some weight uh, as opposed to the previous staff trying to trim it down so he could pass block in a run, I'm sorry, a pass primary defense. Now State's going to run the ball more. They want a more physical center, and Cole is just ready to take off and do that. Will Rogers looked good, as we talked about. Uh, Mike Wright coming uh, in there uh, certainly it lends that read option element to the offense and the run game. And uh, I, I've told you before, I don't want to jinx the kid, but after just a couple of brief exposures, Chris Parson, he looks good. He looks like somebody who you can build something around with for the future, assuming he continues to develop and that I'm not just totally doing what all Mississippi State media have done forever, reading way too much into a freshman quarterback who hasn't even seen a serious defense yet. Well, he'll start seeing a serious defense once they get back to practice because the pads will be fully on when they return. Let's see, the practice is on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday of the week following spring break. After the NCAA's minimum uh, acclimation period in spring, they'll strap the full gear on and start hitting. And with a head coach with a defensive background, I have to suspect there'll be a little bit more emphasis on contact in practices than maybe there were the past three years with an air raid-oriented offense. But we talked about a good bit about football. You can go back and listen to the most recent podcast, what we had to say about that. We have a few more evaluations this coming week from what we pick up on there. But the Bulldogs are out of town. All of them are out of town now, of course. Both basketballs headed out to uh, Dayton and to South Bend. And uh, I don't know where we're going to be. Will you be in town or out town? But whatever and wherever, we're going to keep you updated here in the doghouse on the Believe Podcast Network. Thanks for tuning in for another episode here. I'm your host, David Murray. Thanks to our sponsor, Bet Online, where the game starts. And just thanks for following Mississippi State Sports. It's a good time again. I'd love to have a little better weather for spring break myself. I would love to get some work done outside the house these days, but that's not going to happen, it looks like, for a little while. Oh, well, the price we pay. Anyway, keep an eye on the Bulldogs. Stay tuned to True TV, whatever that is. And stay tuned just to hear on Gene's page, where we'll keep you updated on all the sports as well. And as always, check us out here. And if you like what you're hearing, Give us a notch on Apple Podcast. For our team at Believe, here in the doghouse, this is David Murray. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.